Father, we again give you thanks for the mothers, all that they have done in our lives, and the fond memories that we share, Lord, between the parents and the children. And for those of us who have lost our mothers, I, I pray that you would bring back some pleasant memories this day. And may we make some new ones as we forge ahead. But also, Lord, I, I pray that the life that they have shared with their children, that we would understand we have the ability to share our lives or the eternal life that we have with others. So in a sense, being a mother or a father to those who are unsaved, I ask that you would give us insight into this as we look into your word in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so this idea of sharing salvation, you know, we have the gift of salvation, we share it to others. And there was this elderly couple and this elderly couple, they shared everything. And they were older, about 80 years old. And a young man was watching them. And they went up to a little hamburger stand. And at the hamburger stand, the elderly gentleman was ordering what he wanted to eat. And he soon brought back to his wife, who was sitting at the table there, a hamburger and French fries and a soda. And he took the straw and he took off the paper on the straw and he put it into the cup. And he took a drink and he passed it to his wife. His wife took it. She took a drink as well. And then he took the hamburger and he meticulously cut the hamburger in half. And, and then he took the French fries and he separated the French fries one at a time with each other. And this young man was sitting there watching this and he thought, oh, well, maybe they're having trouble. And, and he offered to buy them another meal. And he said, no, it's okay. We like to share everything. And he said, okay. So he, he sat down for a little while. And then the husband, he started to eat the meal. He started to eat on the hamburger. And by the time he finished the hamburger, he also finished the fries. But the wife, she just dutifully, she sat there with her arms crossed and waited for him to finish his meal. <clears throat> and the guy just couldn't understand why she wasn't eating. Was, was he going to eat the whole thing? Was he not? He, he separated some uh, food for her to the side. And so he came over and he said, is there something wrong why she is not eating? Is there anything that I can do? Can I, again, can I get you a meal? And the woman turned to the young man and said, I'm waiting for his teeth. <laughs> so they enjoyed sharing everything together, including, I guess, the dentures. Now, you probably don't want to share your teeth with somebody, but you certainly want to be sharing, like the mothers, we want to share spiritual life with those who are around us. Now, in order to do this, we know that there's the Great Commission. Great Commission is Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, then Jesus came with them and said, or came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so this is a directive that is given to all of us, not just to pastors, not just to elders, not just to deacons, but we are all supposed to go and make disciples. And of course, this is what mothers do. Mothers raise up children. They teach them everything. Uh, my little grandson, uh, he knows my truck. And so I, I pull up and he points and goes, Chuck! Like that. Chuck! That's what he says all the time. And then when he says, Chuck! He goes, Papa. 
So he's got those two things down. He's going back and forth, and he knows Mimi. Mimi's sitting over here, and, and Mama, and, and Dada. He's getting all this stuff down, but he's being taught this uh, just by spending time with him. And so we are supposed to go out, and we are supposed to make disciples, share with them what the Scriptures have to say. Now, before we go on and we make disciples, <clears throat> we do have to share our faith with them. What, what is it exactly that we believe and what is it that others need to believe in order to have that eternal life? And when you first start to experience this idea, this pull that this needs to be done, we are usually reluctant. We don't want to do it uh, for a couple of reasons because, number one, it's a spiritual act. Anything that we do that's a spiritual act, the flesh doesn't like. Like, for instance, praying. If you pray for a while, sometimes you have a tendency to get sleepy. The body would prefer to just nod off and not get involved in prayer whatsoever. Except those people who have the gift of prayer, then they can pray for hours. And you're going, is it ever going to end? That type of thing. But but there's this idea that we need to share our faith. There's also this, this thing of rejection. You want to share your faith with somebody and they reject you. They say, no, I don't want to hear about your God or no I don't believe that exactly and sometimes it can almost turn into an argument and you don't want that as well the servant of the Lord is not to be argumentative but there's this reluctance to do what the Lord has to say and if you have that reluctance it's not unusual in second Kings chapter 5 there was this guy named Naaman or Naaman and he was the commander of the armies for the king of Aram and What happened was these armies, these little raiding parties, would go out into Israel from the north end in Syria by Damascus, and they would come down into Israel, and they'd have these little raiding parties. And on one of these raiding parties, they took this servant Israel girl and made her the servant of Naaman's wife. And the the problem that Naaman had was he had leprosy. He was a mighty warrior. He was respected by everyone, but he had leprosy. And so the servant girl said, well, why doesn't he go see the prophet in Israel? And he will heal him if he sees him. And that would have been Elisha at that particular point. And so the Naaman went to the king of Aram and he said, you know, this is what the servant girl said I should do. Now, they were kind of at odds with each other, Syria and also down in Israel, the northern kingdom there. And so the king of Aram, or the king Aram, he decided to write a letter. And in that letter, he sent Naaman down to talk to the king of Israel and say, you know, I'm bringing you or I'm sending you this uh, warrior of mine and hopefully you can heal him. And the king of Israel goes, who am I? I'm not God. I can't do any of this. Well, Elisha got word of this and he said, send him to me. And so Naaman went to see him and he goes okay I'm going to give you a task to do I want you to dip in the Jordan River seven times and if you dip in the Jordan River seven times you'll be healed and he got flustered he just like what why am I going to do that why am I going to go to this river and just dunk myself in it and it was the word of the Lord coming to him telling him do this it was very simple to do but he was reluctant to do it And of course, his servants came to him and said, you know, if he would have given you, if Elisha would have given you something difficult to do, you would have done it. But this is simple. Just go down to the water, dip seven times, and when you come out, you're going to be healed. 
And he goes, right, fine. And so he goes down. He said it just like that too. So he went down to the river and he he also complained on the way. He said, you know, the Jordan River, it's so muddy and murky. Why don't I go to these rivers up in Syria by Damascus over there? I could easily dunk down there. But he went and he dunked. And sure enough, it said his skin was like the skin of a baby when he is done. Now, I don't know if you know what the, remember what the skin of a baby's like, but it's like there's no pores. It is just as smooth as silk. And that's how he came out. Uh, yeah, by the way, if you go to the Jordan River and you dunk in that muddy water, who knows? You might come out and have nice smooth skin uh, if it's the Lord's will. But that's what he did. And he came back to Elisha and he wanted to give him several things. He wanted to give him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. And, and he had that and it was available for the king before him. And he just rejected all of that. And to make a long story short, what happened was he was blessed by doing the simplest of things and it renewed his skin completely, but he was reluctant to do so. Now, if we're going to be sharing our faith, we have to know who we are sharing our faith with. For instance, if you go to a foreign country, Cambodia, Vietnam, if you go to the Middle East, if you go to Yemen, if you go to Saudi Arabia, if you go over to Europe, if you go down to Africa, you want to know the culture with whom you're going to be sharing your faith with. You don't want to go with the idea that, well, I come from the American culture and they'll accept that and I can just share with them what needs to happen. And that's not the case at all. And so for us in our society, do you think it's changed over the last 10 years? Has it changed over the last 50 years? Now, I want you to do a little recall for those of you who are old enough to remember. Remember Ed Sullivan? Topo Gijo? Remember Elvis Presley, how they would not put the camera below his waist because he was moving in ways that aren't acceptable? And then you had Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore, and they had separate twin beds and you never saw them in it. And then when you saw the couples in their separate twin beds, well, that was like a sweat causer uh, to see something like that. And Ozzie and Harriet and my three sons and leave it to Beaver and his mom who always wore a dress and had pearls, pearls on and high heel pumps. And she just looked like she was going on a date every night when the family would come home and she had fixed the meal and beach blanket bingo and all of all of those things that were on television and the first it was black and white and then it was color and everything was just kind of serene but there was definitely trouble in the united states in different areas but every there was a a, how do i say it there was a certain formality when i was in uh, high school all the teachers wore ties all the teachers wore slacks if you don't know what a wingtip shoe is you missed a cultural icon, the wingtip shoes, and especially if they were two-toned. All of these things have changed. Then we got the beeper. Then we got the cell phone. Then we got the internet. Then we got computers. Then we got the new math. Then we got the new language skills that they were supposed to be taught in the educational environment. The government has changed. The culture has changed. Sexuality has changed. And so we need to understand what all that is about. And I'll expand on that in a minute. But also, you have to have an understanding of what your own salvation is. What is it 
to be saved? What is it to hold on to this salvation? Do I just live my life the way I want and I know that I'm going to be saved and that's it? Do, do I not participate in the things of God or do I just float out there and just wait for him to pick me up in the rapture and it's all done and if he doesn't get me in the rapture, do I just wait till I die and then I get resurrected? Is that what it's about or am I supposed to be doing something? Well, first... In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as a workman, approved as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. So this is a directive. It's an imperative by God. You're supposed to know the word. You're supposed to be able to handle it properly. Now, when my grandson starts getting older, I'm probably going to get him something. I don't know if you've ever seen these, but they're a, a little, like, bench. And on the bench, you have a plastic hammer and you're supposed to hammer something into the bench or you have a plastic screwdriver and you turn the screwdriver into the bench now the first time i'm going to give him a screwdriver he's probably going to poke himself in the face and it's not going to work quite right i remember chuck smith talking about this grandson of his how his grandson would come over and he'd want to help help uh, papa build the fence because chuck smith would be in the backyard building the fence and so what Chuck did is he got a hammer and he got a nail and he got a piece of wood and he put it down on the ground for his grandson to bang the nail into the wood. And of course, the grandson walked away and told Grammy on the inside that he helped Papa build the fence that was there, but he couldn't handle the hammer quite right. But if you look at, uh, like, for instance, Buzz, you give him a 23-ounce hammer, a framing hammer, and he drives that nail in in like one swat. Now, maybe two at the most. And if he gets two, then he gets a little frustrated. But it's just that one swat. He likes to bang that thing right in there. He is skilled with the hammer. And, and that's what God wants us to be with the Bible. He wants us to be skilled where we're able to use a verse in an appropriate way at the appropriate time. And it's like driving that nail into a piece of wood and it sticks there solidly if you're not skilled with that what happens you get this round finishing hammer and you try to get a a framing nail and you try to hit it on there it's not going to work quite quite right it's going to bend over and then you have to start over again it's just going to be difficult if you're not skilled so god calls us to be skilled with the word to know what the word says and also he asks us to be prepared in First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, to share what we have on the inside. It says, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you and to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So two things we're supposed to do as we understand our salvation. We're supposed to be workmen who can handle the word of God properly and then be able to share our faith with others who are out there. Impart this a spiritual or eternal life to those who desire it. Now, we have to ask ourselves questions of the text. And any good Bible student will do that. They'll go to the text and they'll say, well, am I doing this? Am I presenting myself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed? And, or am I just lazy and I, I just don't want to do that? It's not one of my interests. Or how about are you being preparing or in a preparative mode to share your faith have you actually practiced that going through the idea of sharing your faith with someone well and then there's a third thing memorization 
Now, when you talk about memorization, you usually hear a lot of groaning. There, there usually is an excuse like, I'm too old. I, I can't do that anymore. And then it used to be I would ask people, well, what's uh, your wife's phone number? And they would tell me their phone number. But now they don't even know that. They just say, call my wife or they push the, the uh, reference inside their phone and it just goes there. But we used to have several numbers memorized and addresses. We'd have all that stuff memorized. And we've just probably become slack because of the technology that's there. And we don't have to do that stuff anymore. But God tells us, Psalm 119 verse 11, that we're supposed to hide his word in our hearts that we would not sin against him. So we need to know what God's will is as well. So are we being a workman? Are we preparing to give a reason for the hope that lies within, the faith that we have? Are we memorizing scripture? Now, these are things that prepare us for sharing our faith. So there are certain things you can start with. Now, if you haven't done this, first you ask yourself the question, how long have I been, quote, a disciple of Jesus? Has it been a week? Has it been a month? Has it been 10 years? If you have been a disciple for any length of time, you should have certain things down. Like, for instance, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Simple stuff like that. Also, Ten Commandments. You want to have them in order. Now, most people can get about six of them out of order. But can you get them in order? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make a graven image. You shall not take God's name in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. You're supposed to honor your mother and father. You're not supposed to murder, commit adultery, steal, lie, or covet. Those are the Ten Commandments. And we should have those down. Now, I remember somebody used to walk through the church and they'd have coins that had the Ten Commandments on them. And he would challenge everybody, even me. He walked up to me, can you say the Ten Commandments in order? And, of course, I got them in order, you know, sweating a little bit. But I got them in order and he gave me a coin. He goes, congratulations. And he, he'd walk around giving the coin to everyone. So we, we want to make sure we have this simple stuff down. Like, what are the Gospels? Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Alex. Well, no, it's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Alex. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And who was the uh, uh, apostle that wrote most of the New Testament? Of course, that was Peter, right? Oh, it was Paul. That's right, right. And Noah was swallowed by the fish. Was it? No, Noah wasn't swallowed by... Well, who was that? You see how we can get things mixed up? And who was the first king of Israel? It was David, right? And no, it was Saul who was the first king of David. These are just basic Bible stories that we want to make sure we have in line, that we hide God's word in our heart, we remember the stories, we apply ourselves to this. If we do all this, we have the potential to bring salvation to those who are around us. Now, also for us, how do we know that we even have salvation? Of course, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if, if you've asked Jesus to save you, that's good. And you have to trust the scripture. He says he gives us his Holy Spirit. And of course, there's uh, at least three verses that say the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing that thing which is to come, which is salvation. Second Corinthians 1, 22, 2 Corinthians 5, 5. And of course, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 all say that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing the things that are to come. So we don't have to worry or fret that we're going to, quote, lose our salvation. But we also want to work it out with fear and trembling. Are, are we doing what we're supposed to do? Yeah, we would go to church, we pray, we read, all of those things. We help those who are in need. We lend money if we need to lend money. We, we just do what the Lord would have done. 
He asks us to be active in our faith. But you know, there was another prophet who was very unwilling, and I know you know who this is, but Moses. Remember Moses? Moses was encouraged by the Lord at the burning bush to go and rescue his people out of the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt. And of course, he gave him the staff. He goes, take your staff and lay it down. And it turned into a snake, a serpent. Remember that? And he picked it back up by the tail. And when he picked it back up by the tail, it became a staff again. He was able to hold it right there, nice and stiff in his hand. And then he was uh, instructed by God to put your hand inside your cloak. So he opens his cloak, he sticks his hands inside, and he pulls it out. What happens? It's leprous, white as snow. Now, why didn't he just say, look at your hand and have it turn leprous, white as snow? Probably would have shocked him. Probably would have fainted right there. But he stuck it in his cloak, pulls it out, and it's just completely leprous. He goes, now, this is a sign that you can show Pharaoh and stick it back in your your cloak. And he pulled it out, and it was brand new again. And he also told him the third thing. He said, you can take water from the River Nile, and you can pour that out, and it's going to turn to blood. Now, if he doesn't believe the first two, maybe he'll believe this next one. And then what does he say? He goes, but Lord, I, I can't speak. Maybe he had a speech impediment of some kind. This is what he said exactly. Oh, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And what does the Lord say? Okay. No, he doesn't say that. He says, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight and makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So the person who says, I can't memorize. Who made the mind? Who gave us the ability to put things in there? I'll bet you can remember stuff. I, you know, I was doing this the other day. How far back could I remember? And there were some traumatic things that happened to me when I was about three years old, and I remember them. Stitches. I had more stitches than any of my siblings. And I can remember some of those events that led to those stitches. And I was just a little tyke. I can remember that stuff, being pushed down the concrete stairs, getting a gash on my head and falling on a, a coffee can that was rusted and cutting my knee open. And just little things like that. And that's when we, I was very, very young. And I remember that. Well, Maybe you can say, I remember all that stuff from of old, but I can't remember where I put my keys or why I came into this room. How do you expect me to memorize scripture? God can help us. Now, there's different ways to do this, and I'll I'll give you one example of that. But how are we going to share our faith? I'm not going to return to this. I'm going to digress. How do we share our faith in this culture? Because the culture has, has changed so much. Now, maybe some of you, when you were growing up, I remember sitting at the table with my parents. Or if we went out to a restaurant, we were not to put our elbows on the table like this. We also uh, had to sit with our hands in our laps, with straight sitting up. And if we went somewhere nice, we wore ties when we went out, I actually had a red coat with coat of arms on it and my bro cream hair. And we were very dutiful. And the, the people would walk by and say, oh, your sons are so well behaved. It's because we feared death. And, and so we, we sat there and we did exactly what my father instructed us to do. And it, it, it was all wonderful. But today, 
you know, you, you go to a nice restaurant and somebody's wearing flip-flops and there used to be Star of the Sea Room, which is down on the bay here. You couldn't even get in there without a coat and tie. And, and if you didn't have that coat and tie, you were turned away at the door. So our culture, it has dramatically changed. And we have even developed over the last, I would say, two years, a completely new vocabulary. New words that have never entered the lexicon, at least in our minds. They've probably been around for a while. But we have become familiar with them. Like, for instance, intersectionality. Have you guys heard that word before? What does that mean exactly? It's all over the media. And what that refers to is multiple layers of discrimination. For instance, uh, a, a black man would be considered to have experienced discrimination on some level. But if you were a black woman... Well, that is more discrimination because you're a woman. And then if you're a black woman who is poor, that's another layer, another section. And if you're a black woman who is poor, that is a lesbian, that is another layer. And if you're a black woman who is poor, that is a lesbian, that is a single parent, that's another layer of discrimination. And so the more sections that you have, the more discrimination you have experienced, then the more worthy you are of receiving recompense and the one who is at the top that doesn't have that much uh well actually has privilege and you've heard that word before white privilege it's the white male who is self-sufficient and independent that's the one at the top and you put at the bottom a minority that has all of these different things going against them discrimination wise and so what they want to do is they want to even this out They want to make sure that the person who has been discriminated against is equal to the person who is independent, the white male who is independent. So that's intersectionality. That is out there everywhere. And then the phrase, of course, you've heard, do black lives matter, BLM. Well, of course, black lives matter. Every life matters. There's no discrimination in the eyes of God. So black, yellow, red, white, whatever it might be, we are all equal in the eyes of God. But then there's BLM, Inc., BLM Inc. is a Marxist organization. You go to the website, they say it there. I've heard the interviews where they admit it. They follow Karl Marx. Now, if you don't know anything about Karl Marx, you need to read up on him. He, I believe he is demon-possessed. There's no question about it in my mind. The man was just pure evil. Then there's critical race theory. Now, maybe you've heard about that one. And this is the culture in which we live today. These were not around 10 years ago. Well, they may have been around, but they weren't in our, again, lexicon. Critical race theory is that capital or capitalism and racism co-evolved together. That's why 1776 and the Constitution of the United States and the Bill of Rights, all of that, that that's wrong because racism and capitalism rose together. And so that those need to be taken down. They need to be deconstructed. And that's where you go back to the 1619 Project, where the first slaves came over to the country, and it's the slaves who built the country. Therefore, we need to say that that is our founding date as a country. And so they're trying to change what is in our history. Or about woke. How about woke? Are you woke? Uh, Well, I'm awake, but are you woke? This idea that you become aware of the racism that is in our society. What about equity versus equality? It's no longer equality. It is equity, and equity means the same outcome for everybody. Not the same opportunity, but the same outcome. And the funny thing about this, there is a, uh, an issue that I have with this, a paradox. 
in order to get equity, you have to downgrade somebody and bring somebody up. That's what you have to do. You have to take from the one that's higher and give it to the one that's lower to get equity. And now all of these things that I'm expressing to you, that I'm telling you about our society here, do you think that they are biblical? The answer is no. These are not biblical concepts. I believe also, just like Karl Marx was demon-possessed, these are doctrines of demons, so to speak. What about reparations? You've heard that term, I'm sure, before, where you take from those who have and get it to those who don't have. And the whole idea of uh, the new world order is that you will not own your property, you will not own your car, you will not own your home and you'll be happy about it where everybody will be equal on the same playing field and believe you me they are going for this they're doing everything they can and and then of course uh, i know you've heard this one climate change used to be ice age then it was global warming now it's climate change because both of those were not working so well and so does the climate change oh yeah it changes are we responsible for it well (laughs) Maybe are we going to damage the earth? Look, I can tell you who's going to damage the earth. You go to Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. God's going to destroy it. Until then, shoot a deer, go sailing, whatever you want to do. Ride a motorbike out in the, uh, out back. It's just fine. You do all that, you're not going to destroy the environment which is out there. And then immigration. You know, the kids that are coming across. And by the way, my... Uh, brother is very high up at the convention center and there were 1500 young minor females that they were housing down there and they're shipping them all over the country to different places and of course it's being held under wraps what is taking place with all of these kids and how they're in cages and how they're just opening up the doors and there are thousands tens of thousands of these minors that are coming across and they are getting housing free medical care, education, as we speak, their schools are not closed. Uh, They are able to walk across illegally and they, they get all of this. But what about those who have come over here legally? Or what about those who are veterans that aren't receiving care? And all of this is going to those who are immigrants. Now, is it their fault? Well, no, it's not their fault. It's the fault of the leadership here. Now, is this good for our country? No, because they take your tax dollars and give it to those who are complete strangers to the country and not even taking care of those in the country. And they're trying to hide this fact. Well, what about releasing criminals from prisons by the thousands, even violent criminals? Every once in a while, you'll see they're going to release 10,000 violent criminals back into society. Well, what about LGBTQ? RST, UV, WXY. What about them? You know, and, and their views and the gender identity and people get triggered. This is the culture we're in. And if we say we're not in it, we're just like the ostrich sticking our head in the sand. And these are the people we're supposed to reach. Now, how do you feel about that? As, as, well, let me digress again. This gender identity. Let's take adolescents who have no ability to reason really fruitfully yet. Let's change their sex. Let's give them hormone replacement therapy and turn them into the opposite sex. And it ruins them for life. It, this is not a temporary thing. This should be considered child abuse. And, and then we have a person running for governor. 
that is rumored to only want to date women who women who became a woman who is against biological males competing in female sports, who is conservative in many principal ways, and is there confusion going on there? Like, what what am I supposed to do? Do I vote for somebody who is straight and not gender confused? You know, gender dysphoria used to be considered a mental illness. And by the way, just as a side note, <clears throat> I've heard a couple of talks on this. If, if somebody wants to be addressed by a particular pronoun, for instance, a young male becomes or wants to become a female, do you refer to them as she? Or if a female wants to become a male, do you call them he? Now, I, I have a view uh, on this. I think you can call them by their name because anybody can change their name. Who was it? Frank Zapper that named his child Moon Unit? I think that was the case. And so, you know, you can call them Moon if you want to. If somebody wants to change their name, okay, fine, change their name. But I am not going to refer to somebody by the opposite pronoun from whence they were born. And I have a reason for this. Is because, let me ask you this. Would you assist somebody in their delusion? If somebody thought UFOs are coming down and abducting people in front of everyone, would you say, I know, what can we do about it? Would you say something like that? No, you wouldn't. And I believe that gender dysphoria is a mental illness. And I know that's way out. And I'd probably be censored if this is going over the Internet, if they find out. I think it's on Facebook, right? All of a sudden, blank goes blue. Nothing is on there. <clears throat> and so if somebody believes that they are a woman or a man when they are born just the opposite, do I assist them in their delusion? Do I say, okay, I'm going to call you her? Am I going to pat them on the head, basically, and say, whatever you want, whatever you want to believe? Have you seen the guy? He, he was here for a while. The guy that became a cat, that he, he split his lip here to look like the mouth of a cat. He poked holes and put studs there so he could thread through Lana filament line and have whiskers, and he'd wear a tail. He went up to Walmart sometimes at the end of Las Coches, and uh, his... his tattoos on his face made him look like a cat maybe you've seen the lizard guy who has split his tongue and he he's done the uh, tattoo with it looks like scales all over his face he's all green and he thinks he's a lizard or the furries who think that they're animals i don't know if i don't know but they're out there everywhere if you all you have to do is check out some of the memes that the kids are into and you're going you've got to be kidding me so do you help somebody like that, you say, okay, let me help you with that. Come here, Katie. You're, no, you don't do that. You don't help them in their delusion. They are being delusional. Now, if you want to express their, their name, that's fine. Call them by their name. But I don't think we should assist anybody. And this is going to go against the flow of society. Society is going, you need to stop that. You're so evil. You're so hateful. Well, you know, I'm just going to go with what the Bible says. The man shall not wear the attire of a woman, and a woman shall not wear the attire of a man. That simply means that be who you were when you were born. That's it. And are there problems where some guys are more effeminate and so some women are more masculine? Well, yeah, that, that's normal. But it's like the person who is born with a propensity to alcoholism. Do you say, well, let me help you with that? No, 
you don't do that. We, we don't assist people when something we know is wrong. It's wrong to do that. And who declares things that are wrong? That's the next argument, the moral argument. Well, who are you to legislate morality? That's all legislation is, is morality. And so don't fall under that uh, problem of arguing against that. So we have homelessness. You know, the homeless can take over. They can steal things up to 700 or $900, and they don't even prosecute them anymore. They just say, whatever. And, and so our culture has changed. Now, with this change in culture, we have to figure out how to reach the people. And what are we reaching them with? We're reaching them with the eternal gospel. Well, how, how do we equip ourselves for this? this is, these are things we've never had to do before. Do you accept somebody for Give me, I want to give you an example. Somebody comes in that's a transgender individual, sits down and wants to hear the message. I'm inviting them in. You sit down. And by the way, just as a note from history, I had somebody come here that was a uh, ex-gay and spoke about coming out of the gay lifestyle. And because of that, we had at least one couple leave the church. They didn't want to hear somebody who had become an ex-gay and how you can come out of that. That was years, a couple of decades ago. But I would invite somebody in. I would sit them down. I would talk to them about Jesus Christ and the love that he has for them and how they can be saved. The other issues, they're secondary issues. God works that stuff out. Uh, Who becomes completely sanctified once they get saved? I know I haven't. I know Patty thinks I have, but I I haven't. I, I am not completely sanctified and holy. I, I don't walk into the house glowing all the time. Uh, she knows that. And, and so we have to work through issues. The main thing is getting salvation to individuals, that they, they understand they can live forever because we all die, all of us, unless the Lord comes back in the rapture, we're all going to perish from this life. And then we have to give an account. We stand before God and we give an account. And it's either going to be at the beam of seat or it's going to be at the great white throne judgment in the book of Revelation. And so we have to choose if we're going to share with somebody. And people are dying and we want to make sure, dying eternally. And we want to make sure they have the opportunity. And God sends us to present the opportunity with them. So with that couple more things that we need to do to prepare ourselves number one fellowship and those listening on the internet if you have the ability to be in fellowship to come to church to go to bible study i would suggest you go if if you have a medical condition that would prevent you if you got covid i would say do not come Uh, i suppose for somebody who's at risk get the vaccine and if you're not at risk don't worry about it you have a better chance of surviving uh, with the body immunity rather than with just the vaccine. And so if, if I would recommend, if it is all possible, fellowship. You have to have the face-to-face contact. I want to tell you, Zoom is not fellowship. You have to be able to have human contact with an individual. So and that's Hebrews 10.25. Do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren as is a habit of some and all the more that you see the day approaching and we see the day approaching we see it coming down the the pipeline so to speak and then study you know we're supposed to show ourselves approved but we want to make sure we understand what the apostles doctrine is and if you go to first timothy and second timothy and titus 
he kind of harps on this idea of doctrine. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Make sure that you uh, have you teach proper doctrine. Make sure that people understand what proper doctrine is. And doctrine is critical. And then we're supposed to be equipped. Of course, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21, it talks about the shepherd of the sheep, how they are able to equip Jesus Christ being the chief shepherd, but he's able to equip all of us to do the good work that he has given to us to do according to his will. And also pastors and teachers, they have been supplied by Jesus Christ who is building his church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12. And so we are supposed to be actively involved in being equipped. Now, I, I like to scuba dive and I like to be equipped. I don't like to go down there and say, where's my water or air? There's water all around, you know, or when you run out of air, they tell you what happens when you run out of air. If you're down at 80 feet or 60 feet and you look up and there's a ceiling up there and you know that that's air and you're down that far. And if you run out of air and I know a guy who did this. He saw this lobster, the last one, and he's looking at his air, and it's below the line. And he's going, I've got to get that one last lobster. And you get like that when you're hunting lobster, and you're looking under the rocks. You, It's almost frantic. You're, you're hunting down there. It's quite exciting, exhilarating, and you're breathing, and you know there's seals going around, and other fish, and sharks, and it's wonderful to be down there. But it, you're down there, and this guy, he ran out of air, and the way you run out of air is you're breathing, you in and out, and all of a sudden you suck in, and there's nothing to suck in. You're trying to get some air, and then you look up, and he looked up, and he goes, Okay, got to get to the surface. And you have to immediately start to the surface and the air that's in your lungs expands as you go up and you must breathe out. If you don't breathe out, it explodes your lungs and you die. And and so you have to be prepared. I want to be prepared. I want to know this stuff. I don't want to get down there at 60 or 80 feet and understand that I better blow out if I run out of air and go up. You want to be equipped. Same thing with sharing the gospel. You want to be equipped. You don't take the Bible, beat somebody upside the head and say, you need to be saved. You're going to hell. Well, that's true, but you're not very equipped with that. That's like having a hose and trying to breathe underwater. It's not very effective. You want to make sure you're being effective. So with this, we want to make sure that we don't turn the church into a social club. Now, I know the women met yesterday and the men, I think they met for breakfast. That's fellowship. You have to do that. But if that's all we're doing, we're not doing it right. We're not operating the way we're supposed to. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, remember him? Uh, the Bible bus? He used to talk about putting some shoe leather to your faith. Being able to do what the scripture says. And so I'm going to give you a few, give to you several tools. If you've never witnessed before, I'm going to give you these tools. Now, if you have a pencil or a pen and a piece of paper and you're able to write things down i would suggest that you do this now there's a first one which is really easy it's not hard it's called a track you get a track you hand it to somebody i think in the back we have some tracks back there good person test you pass out the track do this internationally all the time if somebody doesn't speak english you have an international track you hand it to them in their language like in cambodia kamai i would uh, be in a tuk-tuk 
the tuk-tuk is where the guy's on a motorcycle and you're in the little cage in the back and you sit in a couple of benches, they face each other and they'll take you around. And it, the traffic is so tight with these tuk-tuks and motorcycles, motos, that you can reach right out and touch the person next to you. And so I would have these tracks and as they'd come by, I'd go, here you go. And they oh, oh, you know, they'd be appreciative and they'd take off. And they'd say thank you and in their Khmer language and they'd take off. And I, we'd pass out tons of those. Walking down the street, you just pass out a track. You don't really have to say anything. Let the track do the talking. So that's the first thing you can do. And track, uh, chick track, make some, some of the chick tracks are kind of strange, but you, you could use those as well. Then there's the good person test. Now, I think most of you are familiar with this good person test. I think that's the track that we have in the back. You meet somebody, you, you're talking to them. Maybe it's somebody you know, maybe it's somebody you don't know. And you ask them a question, do you think you're a good person? And I think most of you have heard this, but I just want to remind you of it. Do you think you're a good person? And the person says, well, yeah, I'm thinking I'm pretty good. You know, I, I do some good things. Really? Okay, would you like to take a test and see if you're a good person? They say, usually, they say, okay, I'll take the test. And then you ask them, have you ever lied? And they say, well, everybody's lied. Okay, so what do you call a person who's lied? And they say, a liar. You say, okay. Have you ever stolen anything? Now, some people say, no. I said, really? You expect me to believe that when you just told me you're a liar, right? <clears throat> and then you say, have you stolen anything like a pencil, a paper clip, anything like that? Took something that wasn't yours. And they eventually say, well, yeah, I have. Okay, so what do you call a person who steals? And a lot of people go, a stealer. No, it's a thief. It's a thief. It's not a stealer. So first there's a liar. Then there's a thief. And then you ask them, have you ever taken God's name in vain? And they say, well, yeah, I have. And you say, well, what do you call a person who takes God's name in vain? And you say, a blasphemer. And then you turn to them and you say, by your own admission, you're a lying, stealing blasphemer. You think you're a good person now? And of course they go, well, no, I'm not such a good person. You say, well, God says that if you break just one of those things, and there are many more, but if you just break one of those things, you are under judgment and that judgment is hell and damnation. But God makes a way for us to be saved. Would you like to know how to be saved from that judgment? And you give them Romans 10, 9, and 10, or Acts chapter 16, verses 30 and 31. And so that's one way to do it. Another way to do it, now, <clears throat> I came up with this one a few weeks ago. There's this idea called Bible mnemonics. Bible mnemonics is you make a construct and you remember what you need to. I've, I've gone over this with the men a couple of times. And I think I've done it once or twice in here. But you come up with a construct, usually an acronym or an acrostic, something like that. Or you can come up with a picture in your mind, a particular picture. And each one of the points will remind you of something. When I went to this seminar uh, at the beginning of this ministry, it was um, a Bible mnemonic seminar in Denver. I flew there. Hank Hanegraaff was teaching it. And he talked about Evangel the Bear. And you remember the face on the face. There's all these different aspects to the faith, the face. And you remember those aspects, what they represent. Like, for instance, you walk up to somebody, you see their face, and you remember one of two things when you ask them, do you think you're going to heaven? And they will respond in one of two ways. They will say either, 
I can't get to heaven except by Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for me. That's one ear. The other ear is, I'm a good person. I think I've done pretty good. I think I'll go to heaven. It's either going to be one or the other. It is either going to be, I can't make it there on my own, or I'm going to uh, make it there on my own good works. And then you're able to go from there as you remember that construct of the face. You go around the face and you, you give them the gospel. So that's one way to do it. Another way I just came up with is if you write this down, rad twice. It's twice as rad to be saved, but it, rad twice. Now, it's going to be capital letters all except for the I. Make the I a lowcase letter. Now, what do you think this is? Now, the guys know what this is, but this is the Romans wrote R. There's none righteous, no, not one. A. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. D, God demonstrates his love for us that in while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. T, just as through one man death, or just as through one man sin came into the world and death through sin, and in the same way death came to all men because all sinned. And then W, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I, it's just in there to remember rad twice. You go to C, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. E, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you remember the construct, then you remember everything else. And with that, you put the verse numbers. 3, 10, 3, 23, 5, 8, 5, 12. This is all in the book of Romans. 6:23, Romans 10, 9, and 10, and Romans 10, 13. And, and so you can just remember that. You become the living word, or God puts his living word in you, and you're able to use it. It's not that you become deity. You're simply reflecting Jesus Christ. That's one way to do it. You can go through the Romans road. That's a classical way to do it. Or how about the... Uh, Four spiritual laws. Now, this was big with Bill Bright and Campus Crusade for Christ. You had four spiritual laws that you could give them for God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And, of course, that's John three sixteen. And then man is sinful and his sin has separated him from God. And that's what the scripture says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then Jesus Christ is the only provision for man's sin. And, of course, we know that John 14, verse 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So he's the only way to heaven. And then we must individually receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And this is pointed out in Scripture in John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet all who received him and all who believed on him were given the power to become sons of God or children of God. Uh, and Romans 10, 9 and 10 also applies there. So you could use that one. So, so far, we got tracks. We got the good person test. We got the Romans road. We got the four spiritual laws. And, and then if somebody doesn't want to hear the Bible, don't talk to me about your Bible. I don't believe in the Bible. And those who argue against the Bible, they try to use the Bible to argue against Christianity. And you have to be able to say, ah, stop, you can't use the Bible to argue against Christianity when the Bible is being used for Christianity. Use your own arguments. It's kind of like that old joke that I told it years ago. Now, the scientists came up with the idea. They found out how to made, make human beings. Did you remember this joke? It's a joke. The scientist said, okay, God, we're going to challenge you to a contest of making a human being. And he goes, okay. So the scientists go out and they pick up some dirt and God goes, ah, 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 get your own dirt. 
He's not going to allow them to use his stuff to do what they want to do. You see, they have to make something out of nothing. Anyhow, it's this, this idea. You've got all of those tools. Well, what about the philosophical arguments? And you might say, the who? The philosophical arguments for the existence of God. For instance, everything that is created by human beings has a purpose. Everything. You can't look at anything in this room that does not have a purpose. A chair, what's its purpose? To sit in the chair. It's not a fork. Won't work as a fork. It has a specific purpose. That chair has a specific purpose. The candle, it has a purpose. Now, if it was a real candle, you could use the fire. I made fire. You could use that. If it's not, it's for decoration. It has a specific purpose purpose my tablet here it has a specific purpose you have a specific purpose everything that has ever been made has a purpose usually it's a singular purpose and so with that comes the cosmological argument for the existence of god the first cause what caused that thing to exist what caused that thing to come into being who what was the first cause and of course uh, some of the new atheists will say well what caused god that's the point. He's the first uncaused cause, which has always been out there. He doesn't have a beginning. He, it's where it begins and ends with him. It goes nowhere else. But everything else going all the way back, it has a cause. You have a purpose. You have a cause. How did your children get here? You're the cause. You know, if you're a mother, you are the cause of your child getting here. So that's the cosmological argument. What about the teleological argument? There is order in the universe there is intelligence in the universe there is a cycle you look at the hydrological cycle of the earth it evaporates the water from the ocean goes over the land it drops down in the land it waters rushes back to the ocean it's a cycle that goes through same thing with all the plants and animals out there and i'm running out of time here but stay with me so you got the cosmological you have the teleological you have the moral argument for the existence of god i just had this discussion last week with somebody and I said, do you believe in absolute truth? And they said, well, yes, but it depends. And I said, really, it depends. What, what does it depend on? It goes, it, the situation. I said, really? I said, well, do you believe your statement that it depends is an absolute truth? Are you catching that? If he agrees to that statement being an absolute truth, then he believes in absolute truth. And he goes, yes. That's the one thing I believe in that is an absolute truth. Oh, so your definition of absolute truth, you have the one truth that is absolute. Is that correct? Now, I didn't ask him that. I didn't want to seem a little prodding. But this idea of absolute truth, and you go back to the moral argument, are the things that are absolutely right and wrong? And there are, and you can develop that more. And then know what the cults uh, can respond to. Or what you can respond to the cults with. You need to know about Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses. You need to know about the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. All of those things. So if you have those things, if you understand them, and it's going to require more study on your part, if you take them, you will be equipped. You will be like the Roman soldier. Whether the sword was on his side or in his back, you pull that thing out, and you're going to be able to use it, and you're going to be able to give salvation to those who need it. So the application of all this, be in fellowship, 
Know the culture. Don't get distracted by it so that you lose focus in the primary task of the believers. And it's so easy to do. We can start arguing about all these intersectionality, BLM, uh, gender issues. We can argue about all that stuff. And it's immaterial to the gospel. It's the gospel. All that stuff is going to pass away. We want to study to show ourselves approved and actively prepare yourself to do what God has called you to do. May God fill you with his spirit that you would have the wisdom to pursue this so that we are not alone when we go to heaven, that we have that salvation, we're able to share it with others. And what do you think those will say to you that make it to heaven because you shared your faith with them? They will hug on you for at least half of eternity and then they'll just go on and hug somebody else because they're able to share with somebody else. And that's how the gospel's supposed to go out. So let's pray. Father, we... Thank you for your word. On this Mother's Day, the ones who have given us life, we also pray that you would use us to give life to others. May we share, not like the teeth, Lord, but may we share the truths of Scripture with those who desire it. And when we are rejected, help us to understand you are also rejected. And when we are blessed, we know it's because of what you have done. So we give you praise, honor, and glory. And Father, we, we can never thank you enough. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Everyone said?